This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. When your personal care routine needs a refresh, Dr. Squatch is here to help. They have high-performing natural products with no harmful ingredients that'll have you looking and smelling your best. Like the Bay Rum Soap and Deodorant. It smells delightfully spicy. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com Spotify or use the code Spotify at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Accenture overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello and welcome to Instant Genius, the brand new podcast from the team behind BBC Science Focus magazine. In each episode of our new weekly show, you'll hear world-leading scientists deliver bite-sized masterclasses on the most fascinating ideas in science and technology today. I'm Dan Bennett, the editor of BBC Science Focus magazine. And for this first episode, I'm joined by Katie Mack, a theoretical astrophysicist, author, and one of Twitter's most followed scientists. And she's joining us on the eve of the release of the paperback edition of her book, The End of Everything, which ponders the ultimate fate of the universe. So, here's what you really need to know about eschatology, which is the study of the end of days. To an outsider, it might sound like astrophysicists might be a bit gloomy. Mm. Why, why Why are we interested in how the universe ends? Uh, and I suppose I suppose a deeper question is, is, is does, does it have to end? Is there a reason why we think it's not just going to keep going as, as, as it is right. now? Right. Well, th- I think the, the reason that we think it will end is that we see the, the universe evolving just as we see how stars uh, have, you know, they, they are born, they live, they go through s- certain stages and then they die. Uh, the universe is also changing. It was very different at the beginning. You know, we have this uh, this theory, the Big Bang theory, that says that the early universe was hot and dense and full of the sort of uh, roiling plasma, and the universe expanded, and that plasma cooled and created um, gas that um, that then condensed and formed stars, and so on and so forth. And uh, we can follow through that evolution and see that the universe is still expanding and as the universe continues expanding, 
uh, galaxies are getting farther apart from each other. Gas is being used up within galaxies and stars are not going to be forming anymore in the far future. And, and you won't have uh, this constant uh, production of, of stuff and, and energy. And you can just kind of follow that through logically. And you find that the universe is sort of a less hospitable place now than it was many billions of years ago in terms of, you know, there's sort of fewer stars forming, you know, potentially fewer planets forming and so on. And it, we're just evolving more and more in that direction. And so you find that there's not a kind of steady state of habitability of the universe. We are going through a process and the universe is changing and the far future universe just is not going to be a place where as much can happen. And then that leads you to inevitably something will occur that will make the universe for all intents and purposes end. And in, in the in the book, I define an ending of the universe as the total destruction of all of the stuff within the observable universe, you know, within the sort of region we live. So that doesn't necessarily mean space and time finish, but it does mean that, uh, you know, we don't have stars and galaxies anymore <laughs> and, um, and we, we sort of need those to exist. So that there's, it, it's, it's quite, it's quite difficult to come up with a, a scenario where the end of stars and galaxies and planets and life doesn't happen. And is it, is, is it just a fun thought experiment for physicists, for astrophysicists, or is it, does it help inform the sort of models of how we see uh, the universe playing out? I mean, it, it's, it is a fun thought experiment in the sense that, you know, we, we, this is not a, a practical science. It's not something where you uh, can use this information to build a faster car or something like that. But uh, in thinking about the end of the universe, we are also thinking about our basic models for how the cosmos works, you know, how physics works, what the history and evolution of the universe is, what kinds of laws govern reality. You know, all of those are really relevant questions when you're thinking about the, the death of the cosmos. And so by considering those questions, we can actually, it can guide our thinking through some of these big fundamental questions that are relevant for a, a large number of things. So essentially it, it's a bit like finding the kinks in different theories and, and how they might map out. Yeah. It's, there's a bit of a sort of stress testing of your, of your cosmic theories that happens when you, when you think about the end of the universe. Then let's, let's get into what is, I suppose the most common or, or popular idea around the end of the universe that some people might have heard of even in, in pop culture which is the uh, what's often described as the inevitable uh, heat death of the universe. So, so what can we expect if we end up there? Yeah, so the heat death is is just the um, extrapolation of the current evolution of the cosmos, which is that the universe is expanding, and and by expanding, I mean that things in the universe are getting farther apart. So, you know, this room is not expanding. Individual galaxies are not expanding, but the spaces between galaxies are getting bigger. And because of that, uh, one thing that happens in, in that scenario is that things get so far away that that you kind of can't see them anymore. And, and if we extrapolate into the far future, we get the fact that in about 100 billion years, distant galaxies will be so far away that we won't be able to see them anymore. Everything will be separated from everything else enough that there will be no interactions between, you know, separated galaxies. 
and the universe will become sort of darker and emptier, uh, you know, with more and more space and comparatively less and less stuff. And so you get to a point where because there are no galaxy interactions anymore, you're not uh, bringing gas together to form new stars. The stars within individual galaxies burn out. You know, you use up all the hydrogen in individual galaxies. And then eventually, as time goes on and on, more things become black holes. Those black holes evaporate and, and disappear. Uh, matter begins to decay. And ultimately, you're left with the universe in which all that's really left is kind of what what you could describe as the waste heat of creation, right? So like everything decays into entropy, into disorder, just because that's a law of the universe that over time, more and more disorder happens, you know, nothing is perfectly efficient, everything kind of wastes away. And so the universe is is left with nothing but that, that tiny amount of, of leftover disordered energy radiation. And that's what we call the heat death. Uh, where the heat there is is referring to this entropy, this disorder, the waste heat of of everything. And am I right in saying I don't know if this is the right word for it? But is, that, is that effectively the most popular or the most common interpretation of how we think the universe might end, or or are all of the the different sort of outcomes that we'll, we'll go through are they all equally likely or? The heat death is considered sort of the default scenario. It's the working hypothesis, I would say, for for cosmologists, um, merely because it's it's a very straightforward extrapolation of of our current evolution as we as we observe it, and it relies on fairly simple assumptions for what's causing the current evolution of the universe. So one of the big pieces that we need to understand to know how the universe is going to evolve in the future is um, we need to know what's making the universe accelerate in its expansion. So right now we know that the universe's expansion is speeding up. And that's actually quite weird because when we first started measuring the universe's expansion very precisely, we really thought that it was going to be slowing down. We really expected that because the universe is full of matter and matter has gravity and pulls together, something would be that would be slowing the the expansion of the universe. And we were just trying to figure out at that point how quickly the universe was slowing down and you know whether that meant it would keep expanding forever or or collapse back on itself. And what we found was actually that the universe is speeding up. And so in order to explain that, we had to say, well, there must be something in the universe that's making that expansion speed up, something that acts sort of counter to gravity. Whatever that was, we called it dark energy. We still don't know what dark energy is. One of the possibilities for dark energy is something called a cosmological constant, which is just a sort of property of the universe, property of space that gives it a kind of stretchiness that makes it expand. And if the universe is dominated by this cosmological constant, if that's the dark energy, then that leads to a heat death. And that's all very straightforward. If dark energy is something else, if it's a different kind of something that causes the universe to expand faster, then that could lead to different scenarios for the end of the universe. So really the the idea that, that we're heading for, toward a heat death is sort of based on this assumption that that dark energy is kind of the simplest thing we can think of for what it is. I see, I see. And so that brings me nicely to the the kind of next, I suppose, batch of ideas, which is that the universe could 
end up with a, a big rip. And so, and, and so that's a property of the expansion as well. Is that, is that right? Yeah, so a big rip is a, uh, a scenario that, that occurs if you have a kind of dark energy that is sort of more powerful than a cosmological constant, something that's not just a property of space, but something that builds up over time within space. And it's, it's not a scenario that most physicists consider very likely because there are certain sort of theoretical problems with the idea of having that kind of dark energy. But if we did, uh, and observationally we can't rule it out yet, uh, then what that would do is instead of just moving galaxies apart from each other in the distant future, it would actually start kind of swelling the space in which galaxies live and and pulling stars away from galaxies and then pulling planets away from stars and, and building up and building up until you have explosions of planets and, and dissociation of molecules and atoms. And, and at some point you can calculate in, in the future, the entire universe is sort of ripped apart in a, in a spectacular finale. So that's an idea that has been around for a number of years I don't think it's taken particularly seriously by most physicists because, I, again, there's there's sort of issues around how it it connects with uh, fundamental principles we think probably govern how sort of energy moves through the universe. But it's it's an idea that's kind of fun to think about as you know one way that dark energy could go wrong <laughs> and uh, give us a, a much more uh, a much more sort of exciting <laughs> future <laughs> scenario. Yeah, it's probably going to be a bit more lively to watch if than the, the heat death definitely if you're if you're in the douglas adams's famous restaurant uh at the end of the universe in from his hitchhiker's guide it's probably a little bit more glamorous to watch that while you're, you're dining out and so the, so then there's the the, the there's the, the ones that i'm kind of i suppose i think i first read about from from hawking i'm not i'm not much of a physicist but they're they're quite familiar to me. The crunch and the the bounce. Can you just talk about those? Yeah. So the the big crunch is um, a scenario that was was thought to be how it would go several decades ago when there was a time when we really didn't have a good accounting for how much stuff was in the universe and or and and how quickly the cosmos was expanding. And so there was this question as I said before, you know, is the universe going to continue expanding forever or is the gravity of everything in the universe going to slow down the expansion enough to pull it all back, right? And in the latter scenario, what happens really is that the expansion slows and slows at some point stops and then everything starts coming back together, back to the sort of high density state that we had in the very beginning. And that leads to to what's called a, a big crunch. At the moment, that seems very unlikely because we know that the expansion is speeding up. It's it's not slowing down and it doesn't seem to be reversing. But because we don't know what dark energy is, if it is something that changes over time, and if it's some kind of dynamical field or, or whatever, then in principle, it could be something that is acting to expand the universe now, but could turn around and, and contract the universe into the future. And so that would lead you to this big crunch, which is one of the more exciting, I suppose, endings of the universe, because as astronomers on Earth, we would see it coming. We would see that that the universe is contracting, that galaxies are coming toward us. And the ultimate ending point of that is not just that galaxies slam into each other. That that itself is is dramatic, but not especially dangerous, because we see galaxies collide all the time and 
what really happens there is just that the stars get kind of mixed up. You get bursts of new star formation, but it's not like the individual stars collide and explode. There's just a lot of empty space within galaxies. But the thing that gets really dangerous about a big crunch is that not only is all of the matter coming together, but all of the radiation in the universe is also being compressed and uh, condensed into a smaller space, and and it's it's being dialed up in its in its uh, energy as it's it's coming together, and so space becomes hot, right? So as as the universe contracts, you get more and more of the cosmic radiation focused into a smaller space and 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 the radiation hardens and so you end up sort of cooking the universe from from the outside just from the the heat and the the radiation of empty space which is no longer empty because you're you're now putting so much stuff into it and so that leads to a very interesting scenario where space itself can start to sort of cook and and explode the stars from the outside in by by just having so much radiation uh, concentrated together so, so you're in the hot seat watching everything come towards you while we're talking about the kind of the basic level of radiation in the universe becomes so hot yeah. that it's cooking from yeah, the outside in. Because, because there's, there's some background radiation in the cosmos now that we pick up that's actually left over from the Big Bang. So the, the cosmic microwave background radiation is the radiation that's moving through empty space that's the the afterglow of the time when the universe was hot and dense uh, in the in the very beginning and we can pick up that radiation and it's a very very low level it's uh, you know only a, a few degrees above absolute zero in terms of of what what it does to the the ambient temperature but when the if the universe contracts then that radiation from the primordial fire gets concentrated and brings you back to that time of a hot, dense uh, universe, and so you 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 bring that that radiation back together to make the universe hot again. But then also, you have the radiation from all of the stars that have ever shown in the universe, all of the high energy astrophysics processes like quasars and, and gamma ray bursts and so on. And so there's all this uh, this harder radiation that's also being compressed, and that means that the universe right before a big crunch is actually much hotter and more energetic than a universe right after the big bang it's it's not a symmetric process so it's in a, in a sense in, in some sense it's, it's it's almost like the opposite of the heat death it's, it's yeah. kind of everything uh times a million would it be right to say that and then that's where a, a, a potential bounce could be considered at, at that point where everything's all cr- crunched in well so Bouncing cosmologies are, are interesting because um, it's not it's not easy to to as a theorist create a bounce at the end of the universe. A straightforward big crunch will not bounce off of itself. It, if you just follow the equations to a big crunch, it just crunches and it's done. Um, but there are some ideas that people have brought up over the last few decades that do involve a, a cycling universe and and some of them involve a kind of big crunch that that has a bounce in it and some have uh, different ways of you know maybe the universe compresses a little bit and then a, a new kind of energy field takes over and creates a new big bang there have also been suggestions that you could have a heat death that leads to a new big bang after that um, so there are a few ways that you can have a cycling universe or, or a bouncing universe they're all sort of I would say, Newish ideas, or or you know, ideas that are they're still in development, and um, there are certain reasons to think that that it might be useful to have some kind of cycling universe because 
that would give you a way of explaining the initial conditions of our universe as the final conditions of a previous universe. And, and in, in certain ways, that's that solves some problems of, of early universe theory that we don't have good answers for. But there are sort of several competing ideas and um, and the cosmology community has not settled on one as being, you know, this is the way it would happen. It brings me to the one that was completely new to me from the book. Uh, and when my colleague, who's a physicist, really gleeful, she was like, you have to read the chapter about vacuum decay. <laughs> she was like, that's the really cool one. Yeah. Uh, could, you, could you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. So vacuum decay is um, is my personal favorite as well um, uh, for how the universe might end. Uh, just because it's, it's very... Um, it's a very unexpected sort of ending. So all of these other endings have to do with, you know, the expansion of the universe doing interesting things and, and these big sort of cosmic forces. Whereas vacuum decay is something where a, an event on a, on a subatomic scale, a quantum tunneling event. So there's kind of this random, unlikely, spontaneous transition of a, an energy field on, on a subatomic scale could occur that could destroy the entire universe. Um, <laughs> the way the way that works is there's a there's an energy field that pervades all of space that's called the Higgs field. You may have heard of the Higgs field because of the Higgs boson, which is this particle that the uh, the Large Hadron Collider people found that they say has something to do with with how particles got mass in the early universe. So so what happened there is that there's this energy field, the Higgs field, and the Higgs field has a certain value to it, a certain kind of energy to it. And that value can change. So it, it was different in the very early universe. And when it changed, it changed the laws of physics that the universe runs on. So, so it sets, it sets what's we, what we call our, our vacuum state, which is just a, a fancy word for all the laws of physics are set by what the Higgs field is doing, more or less or at least the laws of how particles interact with each other in our universe. And so you could have different vacuum states and these different vacuum states set the rules for, you know, what are the particles in the universe? How do they interact with each other? What, um, you know, do, do molecules work or not? You know, kind of, the, these are, this is setting the scene for, for particle physics and chemistry and all of that. In the very early universe, when the universe was very hot and dense and things were sort of just getting started, uh, the Higgs field had a different value. We did not have protons and neutrons and you know electrons and so on. There was there were different sorts of particles and different particle interactions. We didn't have the electromagnetic force. We had something called the electroweak force, which is this whole other way of thinking about particle interactions. So when the Higgs field changed in the early universe, that gave us the particles we have, the masses they they are observed to have, and that sort of set up this nice, calm, you know, functional universe where we can have atoms and molecules and planets and stars and so on. And so it would be really inconvenient if the Higgs field changed again, because we want, we want to stay in our current vacuum state. We want to have you know, particles coming together to make molecules and atoms and, and planets and things. But there's a possibility as far as we know, that that uh, the vacuum state we're in is actually a false vacuum, which means that it's it's not the kind of preferred vacuum state of the cosmos. That that there's a transition that could occur again, that where the the cosmos could go into a true vacuum state, this uh, a, a more a more sort of energetically favorable 
vacuum state where the laws of physics would be totally different. And the way that would happen is that somewhere in the universe, the Higgs field would undergo this quantum transition, this quantum tunneling transition, which is, you know, quantum tunneling is something that that happens all the time on the subatomic level. Um, you know, electrons can sort of show up on uh, in different places through random fluctuations on, you know, this sort of part of the weirdness of quantum mechanics. That can happen to the Higgs field, and it can happen anywhere in space at any time. Uh, one of these transitions can occur, and that can kick the universe into this other vacuum state, this true vacuum state. The way it would happen is that there would be this tunneling event would occur at one point in space. It would create a bubble of the true vacuum at that point, and that bubble would expand outward at about the speed of light and just envelop everything and change the laws of physics everywhere and destroy all structure in the cosmos. And that's known as vacuum decay. One of the fun things, if you want to call it fun, about that is that it is a truly unpredictable thing. So, so we've no way of knowing what that. There's no way of knowing vacuum. where or when it would happen because quantum tunneling is a a random process, and um, we can make we can make calculations about how long we expect it to take. So you know, sort we can sort of give it the universe a half life the way you would with with radioactive decay, but you you can't say for certain when or where it would occur. And when we do those calculations for how long we think it would take, we find that, you know, almost certainly the universe has something like 10 to the power of 100 years left before this is something that that could happen if it if it can even happen at all and we're not sure about that. But in principle it could happen sooner. And so that's um that's one of the things that if we are vulnerable to vacuum decay, if the universe does have this instability built in, then it's uh, it's a slightly uncomfortable idea. <laughs> We should should probably live a bit more for the present. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't know for sure if it could happen. There's, it's a, it's sort of a slightly new theory, and there's a lot we're still trying to work out about it. And if there's some sort of new particle physics process that we haven't accounted for, then it could change the picture entirely. And we have reasons to believe that there will be some kind of new physics that we haven't accounted for. So, you know, I don't think anyone should panic over this. And, and, you know, furthermore, it would be totally painless. <laughs> you wouldn't feel it. <laughs> Nobody, there's no tragic aftermath or anything. It just, the universe just ends. That's fine. You know, you don't, you don't mind. Would we see it coming? No, no, because because the 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 bubble expands at about the speed of light, and so by the time you see it, it's already on top of you. And you know, but but that also means you wouldn't feel it because your nerve impulses don't travel that fast. So, you know, it would just be it would be a very very calm, you know, very peaceful way to go in a sense because you you wouldn't you wouldn't notice. Yeah, it's pretty good, pretty good as things go. Uh, so, so do do we have any reason to think that the transition would be the same as? the the one that we saw after the big bang in terms of well it would be it would be different in the sense that the the true vacuum if if we're transitioning one into one would be a different state than the than the early universe one but but it wouldn't be any more survivable in fact uh, it's been calculated that that when that transition occurs not only does it change the laws of physics and you know dissociate all your atoms and so on it is also gravitationally unstable so once you're inside the bubble the space inside that bubble then also collapses into a black hole. So uh, it's a really very final ending of the universe. So, so obviously one of the things we've discussed a lot is, is dark energy and how that plays into all of this. What are the other factors or possibilities that could change our picture of the end of the universe as we sort of understand more about uh, the way the universe works? 
Yeah. So, so dark energy is a big one, but also, um, you know, there, there are certain assumptions we make about how the universe works and, and what physics governs it that we know are probably incomplete, right? So, so for example, we have what we call the standard model of particle physics, which is a, a sort of theory that, that brings together all of the particles that we know about, all their, all their interactions. And we're pretty sure that the standard model of particle physics is incomplete, but we don't exactly know how. So we know that there are certain things that are not included in the standard model that are part of the universe. Like, for example, dark matter is a kind of invisible stuff that sort of holds galaxies together. We think it's probably some new kind of particle. That particle is not part of the standard model. So we'll need to revise the standard model somehow to include dark matter. And when we do that, we might get some insight into how physics works in the universe that might give us a totally different future evolution of the cosmos. And similarly, we we have a theory of gravity, the the you know general theory of relativity. Einstein wrote it down about a hundred about yeah about a hundred years ago. It has passed all of the tests we've thrown at it, but we have reason to believe it might not be complete because there are certain inconsistencies between general relativity and quantum mechanics, and and we 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 think that somehow we need to revise you know revise one or both of those ideas to work better together. And, and things like string theory have been proposed as, as ways of, of doing that. So we think maybe our theory of gravity needs to be revised. That could also very much change the, um, the evolution of the cosmos in the future. And as we learn more about the beginning of the universe, you know, we might find something about the beginning of the universe that tells us about the sort of overall structure of the cosmos that could give us insight into its future evolution, you know, whether that's because of some kind of bouncing cosmology, or if that tells us something about the larger geometry of the universe that gives us a different idea, or, you know, maybe tells us something about a multiverse notion that, that could change the way we think of the, the future of the cosmos. So there are a number of things like that where we may have to revise our theories in ways that could have a big impact on what we think will happen in the future. If you had sort of three what what were some of your sort of favorite takeaways that you kind of learned in the process of writing this book? Because you didn't, you know, you spoke to a lot of physicists, you interrogated a lot of the history. What were some of the real facts that you kind of shared with your friends and family after? Yeah, I mean, so I, I certainly learned a lot about different possibilities for the future of the universe and, and um, you know, things that I had not been familiar with before, like this whole idea of the radiation cooking the stars in, in a big crunch. Like those are, th- there are lots of cool ideas like that, that, that came up in the, in the researching of the book. But I think the, the thing that um, kind of sticks with me most is that, you know, I, I went around while researching this book and I interviewed a number of, you know, cosmologists and physicists, prominent people in my field who are, who are, asking these questions and and really trying to dig down into how is the universe going to end or what is dark energy what is gravity doing you know what can we anticipate for the future how does how does vacuum decay work all of these kinds of questions and and i was asking them questions about you know their research and about their expectations for the, for the future evolution of the cosmos and how you know how much faith they put in different kinds of theories, but the other thing I did when I when I went around for these interviews is I made sure to also ask everybody a question along the lines of, "How does the end of the universe make you feel?" 
Um, and the reason I did that is because when you are researching the ultimate destruction of all things, you, it, it changes your mindset, right? <laughs> it, it really does affect how you think about like, what does everything mean? You know, how to, what does it mean to live in a universe that's ending? Uh, you know, how do we think about our lives and, and reality in this context? And I wanted to know if, if my colleagues were, were also struggling with those kinds of thoughts, if they're, if they're constantly, um, thinking about the end of the universe. And it's a really interesting time to, get this answer from, from many different people. And everybody had different ways of thinking about it. You know, some people did find the idea of the heat death really quite depressing and, uh, and thought that, you know, this, this is a a sad ending for the universe that it just kind of fades away. Uh, Some people are, are researching totally different ideas where we wouldn't have to deal with a heat death where something else would happen. and, And maybe you'd have a new universe at the other end. Um, uh, you know, I talked to um, Roger Penrose, who uh, who has this a, a, a sort of cycling universe idea that that doesn't we don't have to deal with a heat death, and that's that was something that that I, I thought sort of brought him hope. And then I, I spoke with other people who uh, who said, actually, I think it's fine. I think it's totally it's totally uh, acceptable and 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 right that the universe should end and, and we should just be happy with the fact that we've had it as, you know, as long as we have, and, and we should just accept our transience and, and, um, and be, be, you know, very calm about it. And, 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 you know, and then other people just found it very troubling. And what does it mean if there's, there's no ultimate future and, and, uh, you know, didn't have any answer at all. So I, I found that to be, I think, the most, the most interesting part of writing the book. And, and so in the book, I include a, a sort of epilogue where I, I could include some of those, those uh, discussions. And, and you can see sort of how people are, are thinking about this as they're, they're working on the, the science of it. So I thought that was, that was one of the most fun things about it. And that was Katie Mack there talking about the physics of the end of the universe. If you want to listen to Katie and I discuss Stephen Hawking, Golden Age of Physics, and her love of science fiction, check out Instant Genius Extra, a subscription podcast available on Apple's podcast app. And of course, do check out Katie's wonderful new book, The End of Everything, which is a concise, fluent guide to some of the most interesting ideas in cosmology today. Thanks for listening. Instant Genius is brought to you from the team behind BBC Science Focus magazine, which you can find on sale now in all good shops and news agents. Alternatively, do come find us online at sciencefocus.com. We'll see you next week.